hard to know what to preach I'm, when you say that you know you only got a couple weeks left to preach. So my decision is to go to the upper room where we've been dealing with the great mediator, our Lord, the one mediator between God and men, Christ Jesus. And it's here at the upper room where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. It's there where he says, if you've seen the Father and you have seen me. It's there where he has twice given us a content clause of what we should believe. That he is in the Father and the Father is in him. And we have talked about the blessings that flow from his mediatorship. Here in John 14, he says, believe on me, that believe me that I am, verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. Then he says, the blessings that flow here, verse 12, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. That's not the Bethel kind of stuff where, you know, we we're going to learn how to walk on water and we're going to learn how to calm storms and, and, and all that. We're talking about what, what's the work that he's doing. He's doing a mediate. He's the mediator. He's reconciling us to the Father. What's the ministry he's given us? The ministry of reconciliation, 2 Corinthians 5. And greater works, he says, than these. He preached in a little corner of the world. We'll take it to all the world. Amen? This ministry of reconciliation and greater works. I mean, even the, even the most ardent Bethel people in the Bethel community cannot say, hey, I did greater miracles than Jesus. So we're not talking about greater miracles. The word's not miracles. The word is not powers, dunamai. It's not... It's not uh, wonders or anything. He said greater works. Ergo. Because why? Why will greater works be done? Because I go to my Father. Based on the finished work of Jesus Christ, a greater work is going to be done. One thing I do agree, I'm still premillennial, y'all. <laughs> Don't throw stones at me, but I... Talk, talk to some of my post-mill brothers, and one thing I, I agree with them is that he's exalted now, he's king now, and the kingdom shall increase. Daniel 2, right? It's going to increase and increase and increase. We're part of that greater work. And it's all based on him being the exalted Lord he is now. He got, went to the Father. He sat down. And... We are set with him in heavenly places. And then he says in verse 13, more blessings are flowing from the exaltation of Christ as the single mediator for men. Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name. Again, this is in the context of the work. This is not uh, a Janis Joplin song. Lord, why don't you buy me a Mercedes Benz kind of promise. 
This is a promise for the world and the exaltation of Christ. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do. He's still doing the work, but he's doing the work in us. That the Father may be glorified. Then he says it again, and this is where we left off the last time we were in John. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. We have everything we need for the work. Amen? All right. Let's move forward. Now, I got bad news. I'm not going to get through this, the uh, upper room discourse. But I do want to talk about the next few verses this week and next week. And I don't know what we'll do after on that last week, whether we'll continue or not. Or I might just do something else. But this week and next week, I want to deal with these next few verses. Verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Do your part. Amen? If you love me, keep my commandments. He who saves us, who hears us, is also the one who commands us here. All right? He's our Lord. If you don't get anything else out of verse 15, get this. He is our Lord. And he commands us, if you love me, keep my commandments. He's given charges. He's given commandments. And what we have here immediately then is an identifying mark of his subjects. Paul would later say in 1 Corinthians 6, 22, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Let him be cursed. He prepares heaven for who? 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for who? For them that love him. This is a synonym for if you're saved, keep my commandments. All right? <laughs> Because heaven's prepared for those that love him. All things work together for them who, for good, for them who love him. So we're just talking about a synonym for the saved, right? And here also Christ has declared his absolute lordship over us. Uh, I know that's uh, an, un, an unpopular thing to talk about the lordship of Christ. But when you're dealing with texts like this, in fact, if what John Frame says, if it's every five, every fifth verse in the Bible, you can't really get around it. But here it's absolutely declared, Christ is Lord. And by the way, as I said a few weeks ago, that's been the confession of Christianity for 2,000 years. What guides us is modified by an adjective. His commandments. My commandments, he says. He commands... And therefore, he rules. While we abhor legalism, and we do, we don't like legalism, and there's always, there's always this balancing act that we got to do. We don't want to be antinomian, but we don't want to be legalistic either. And that's going to be something you're going to be battling throughout all your Christian life. Uh, and uh, keep to the middle of the road. 
the best you can. Don't fall in either one of those ditches. But we hate legalism for sure, but that does not mean that we're not without law under Christ. Paul said to those that are without the law, that is the Gentiles, I'm also without the law, but, but, but under the law to Christ. We have commands. Amen? We seek to hear and obey Him. That's what makes us Christian. We seek to, to hear and obey Him. That's how we know we're disciples. We're, at, we're talking about the question, how do we know the difference between an apostate and someone who's just backslidden? Well, here it is. My sheep hear my voice. Amen? And they follow me. And I give unto them an everlasting life or eternal life, and they shall never perish. But we seek to obey and hear him. The command that goes from Genesis to Revelation, the Shema, the hear, that's us. Hear my commands, and if you love me, if you're saved, if you're part of this work that I've done, do them. Now, this truth is couched in, a, in the Greek here in what we would call a third-class conditional statement or sentence. And what this means is it's a general condition. What you, you know what a, ge a general condition is. If this, then this. And in the Greek, it works from the if of the subjunctive to the surety of the indicative. And it carries with it, this third-class conditional, a spirit of self-examination. Now, Paul enjoined us, examine yourselves. And this conditional statement carries with it such an opportunity for you and me to examine ourselves. Do we meet the condition? What's the condition? If you love me. Are we among those who love Christ? This does not stay in the, in the realm of fuzzy feelings. As I have been aware as sitting in college classrooms, uh, I'm spiritual just means I got little fuzzy feelings about uh, spiritual things when I think about them, but they don't have anything to do with what I actually do or say. So this is not stays, this, this, this uh, examination here does not stay in the fuzzy realm of feelings. How do we know that we love him? Well, if we meet that condition, then the condition goes on. We keep his commandments. We know by the same way we know an apple tree is an apple tree. Now, I don't immediately know what an apple tree looks like. Do you? Uh, I'm pretty sure it doesn't look like a shrub, so the, some things are obvious. But I know an apple tree is an apple tree when it bears apples, when it produces. And the indicative future indicative predicts what is produced by the sub if the subjunctive is true his sheep hear his voice and follow him you will keep 
if you love me, and it's not an imperative, really, it's an indicative here, keep, possess, hold to be dear, carefully watch over, guard his commands. In other words, if you're to really look at this verse in a spirit of self-examination, are God's, are Christ's commandments important to you? If so, how important? Bob Jones Sr. would say, what would it get to do with get you to stop doing what's right? <laughs> uh, but but in, in, in a sense, uh, uh, are they precious both in your mind and in your hands or just here? I, you all like thinking about, you know, Christ is, Christ is a shepherd, but I, don't, <laughs> I sure don't want to be following him. We also get the idea when we look at these words of what went before. We don't want to just take verse 15 here and say it's not connected to the context, right? What went before? This is still the context of the greater commands, or the greater works that he says will be done by those who believe on him. And the believing here is a synonym for the loving, or the loving here is a synonym for the believing in verse 12, and, and the asking one in verse uh, 13 and 14. Uh, so what went before is the greater works to be done. They answer to the things that we ask for in verse 13 and 14 that he says he will do. Where? In us. And he says, if you love me, do those things. Do those things that you ask for. Do those greater works I've sent you to do. So it's not without the context. Uh, the context is very important to our understanding of this. How connected are we to the work? How connected are we to not just asking, but doing what we're asking for? It's done by the way of obedience. And this highlights that. If you love me, keep them. <laughs> keep these things. It was said of Napoleon that his soldiers, even when tired, and beaten down at the side of Napoleon would rouse themselves to battle. How much more so should we rouse ourselves at the command of our Christ? Love for the Lord is love for his cause. That's what you get here. If you love me, keep my commandments. Love for the Lord is love for his cause. Not just, well, I sure love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. And not loving his cause. Not loving his ends to which he is ordering us and sending us to do. If you despise his commandments, what does it say? I don't like his cause. I don't like his ends. And I will not do them. What does that say about you? What does that say about me? And by the way, John would continue to make this very thing prevalent in his preaching. As we get to 1 John, he's going to say, uh, uh, those, uh, I, I all of a sudden can't quote it, uh, mostly because I'm losing my mind. Uh, but John, 1 John chapter 5, way back here in the back, 
he says, he says, whosoever believes that Jesus is Christ is born of God. Everyone that loves him loves those that were begotten of him. Uh, also, uh, and then it goes in verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. So, he would, John would continue to proclaim this doctrine. Even in headed into the dark night of his absence, if we love him, we'll go forward. And I leave that as a challenge to us of Bible Baptist Church. Now, that verse is just a stepping stone because I really don't have a whole lot to say about that verse. Other than what I said. And you might have said, I wish you wouldn't have said that much. It made me feel bad. Or something like that. All right, but that ver- that text is, is what it is. All right? Go forward. You're saved. You're among those that love him, right? Go forward. Keep going forward. Don't stop. Amen? Coupled with what has gone before regarding the greater works, the sufficient prayer, and now the love of his commandments... We get this overall picture that we are going forward under the command of our Lord, this picture of militancy. Some people talk about the church militants. I think that's a good thing. I, 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 think, uh, I think we have so few men in our assemblies anymore, and it's not just Bible Baptist Church, but it's everywhere because uh, we, we, want to, we don't want that kind of language. But there is a militancy here, this going forward, this rousing ourselves to the command of our Lord that, that is uh, very important. The cause of Christ is moving forward in where? Peter and John... <laughs> Very weak things. Fast forward 2,000 years, the cause of Christ is going forward in who? Jason and Thomas and Tina. Don't get offended here, but weak and foolish things. How in the light of what we are, are we sufficient to do what is needed? He chose the weak things. We looked at that. He chose the despised things. He chose the foolish things. And how are those going to be used? In the light of the absence of Christ, as he says these words, I'm going away. You're going to do great works. I've given you commands. Go forward. And I can almost hear, how are we going to do that? Paul would later say, who is sufficient for these things? Who? So Christ adds, verse 16, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it sees him not, neither knows him, but ye know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come unto you. Now that word comfort in verse 16 is not the same word as the word comfort in 18. That word in 18 is I will not leave you orphans. 
I'm not going to leave you orphans. You're not going to be alone. All right? So, I want to just deal with verse 16 in the next 10, 15 minutes, okay? Don't fall out or fall asleep, all right? I want to deal with verse 16, and I want to leave you with this today. And then I want to deal with 17 and 18 next week, all right? Um, This edition is not intended to tell us, by the way, that the Spirit will come as a condition of us obeying, all right? So you see that. Some people read that, and you get your ultra-legalists. If you love me, keep my commandments, and then I will pray the Father, and he'll send the Spirit. That's not how you read this, all right? If you're obedient enough, if you're good enough, then the Lord will give you, you know, a second blessing or something like that, and then then you're going to be set. (laughs) That's not the meaning here. The Spirit is not received on the basis of, of the works of the law. Simply enough. This is not a Nazarene reading or a holiness reading here. This is the way this falls out. Galatians 3.2 Received you the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Which one was it? I heard I received the Spirit by the hearing of faith. Ephesians chapter 1. Alright, so that's not what it's saying. Don't allow these legalistic readings. It's rather an addition to the initial condition if you love me. If you love me, you keep my commandments. And if you love me, I'll, send, I'll pray and the Spirit will be sent. So... If you love him, there's the subjunctive. If you want to, I'm just walking through this here. Uh, this is a lot, lot, lot harder to get here in our English translation. But if you love me, there's the subjunctive, the only condition. Then you will do. That's the future first future indicative, and he will pray. That's the second future indicative, and the Father will give. That's the third future indicative. Each one of those flow from the condition. I know that's parsing, uh, getting into a little bit of parsing here, but that's how it reads. It is also added as a blessing. What do we have here? We have a blessing that's moving forward. Hey, Christ is going to use us. We're going to do the works of Christ. He's going to do greater works than us. We're going to be able to pray and ask for things, and we're going to be able to do this. And now we have this blessing, the Spirit poured out but really in all actuality what we have here in verse 16 is that one single truth that's going to make living the Christian life possible amen you are not able on your own power to live the Christian life any more than Peter was able to stand at the enemy's fire and not deny him. All right, so here's the one single thing that makes it possible. All right. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Christ has spent a lot of time teaching Christology. Praise the Lord for it. 
And now, if you really want to know what the entire upper room discourse is going to be about, if you were to single it down, it's about the Spirit that's going to be with us. Pneumatology. Christ goes from teaching Christology to pneumatology, the study of the Spirit. And the one flows from the other. I got five points, and it has nothing to do with the five points of Calvinism, I promise you. And I'm only going to get to the first three in the next seven minutes, all right? If I go over, don't throw things at me. If you fall out or something like that, I'll just know that I probably should have went faster. First, how or on what basis does the Spirit come? It comes, he comes. Now, I know there's some neuter language, but that doesn't exclude personality, and the personality is inherent in everything we say about the Spirit from here to the end of John 17, all right? The Spirit's a person. But yes, there is neutered language that is used to, about the Spirit, and, and that does not preclude personhood. But the Spirit comes, it comes, on the basis of Christ's exaltation. This is a natural product. John Gill says, This is no inconsiderable proof of the trinity of the persons in the Godhead. Here is the Father prayed unto, the Son in human nature praying, and the Holy Ghost, the Comforter, prayed for, who is the gift of the Father through the prevalent mediation of the Son, is another Comforter distinct from the Messiah to whom reference is here had. Christ has said, I'm departing. Where's Christ going? Well, he's going to sit at the right hand of the Father in Psalm 110, where all of his enemies are going to be made his footstool. He's going to be exalted. He's going to be glorified. And the door through which he's going to go to be glorified is the cross and the tomb. And from there, he's going to ascend. He's departing. He's going to the Father. And doing that, it's highlighted what will result. What is going to result from him being with the Father again? Sitting down at the right hand. He appears. Here appears the doctrine which seems to be the chief result of everything Christ is going to do. And the word prayer is used. He will go and ask something on our behalf as our mediator. He says in, in, in our text here, it's just translated prayer. And that word prayer is, is the word that's used is word as one that has equality with the one that is asking. Not, 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 not a uh, subordinate, may I please, you know, like a... Like, please, sir, can I have more porridge or something like that? Um, but but, but we're, the word that is used and translated to prayer, um, eraton, is used as a basis of that intimate fellowship. Because of the intimate fellowship and the exaltation of Christ, Christ appearing before the Father and sitting down at the right hand, being exalted in everything, he will pray, he will mediate on our behalf, and what will the Father give? The Spirit. We don't talk enough about, about the Spirit, really. But the Spirit is the... That's the 
icing on the cake here. That's that, that that's the that's a cherry on top of the uh, on top of the the Sunday. I mean, th- th- this is this is the complete work is what's going to proceed from the mediation of Christ. He will ask the Father, and the Father will give on the basis of his asking. It's sure. It's in the indicative. He speaks in the indicative mode. I will ask, the Father will give to all that love him. We will, on the basis of the finished work of Christ, have the Holy Spirit. Christ is an effective mediator. Amen? I'm, I, listen to the confidence of our Lord. I will ask, and the Father will give. That's wonderful. I get, by the way, unconditional. All right, I'm just saying there. I will ask, I mean, well, the condition that we're saved and we're among those that love him. The Father is to be praised for sending first the first paraclete, the other. The Son and Spirit are to be praised in this accomplishment of our salvation. This is the accomplishment of our salvation. All right, so the coming of the Son is to reconcile us unto God. Oh, my, i got two minutes left, and i got three paragraphs of notes. <laughs> i got to hurry. Uh, the Son is to reconcile us to God. Now, notice here. Notice here, as we're just walking through the text, I'm sorry, I'm just a text person. I love the text. You know, I I said this the other day to somebody, and I don't remember who, but there there is far more glory in what the text actually says than anything you and I can put into it. (laughs) All right, there there really is. And and it says here, it says here, uh, it says here, he will give you another comforter. Look at that word, another. All right. That means there was a first comforter. And then there's going to be another. And by the way, that word another is not another of a different kind. It's another of the same kind. Another of a different kind would be where we get, the, where we get that uh, prefix hetero, uh, different. All right. Uh, but this is uh, alon. This is another of the same kind. So whatever we could say about Christ, we can also say about the Spirit. All right? So there is a second paraclete. Who was who the first paraclete? And by the way, the word paraclete, translated here comforter, the word paraclete is only used by John. In fact, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, the word paraclete is never even used there. Now, it's used in Greek literature. People knew what it meant. And John understood who the first paraclete was, was Jesus. You don't have to turn there, but it's in 1 John chapter 2, the epistle way at the back. <laughs> 1 John chapter 2, he says, I'm brethren, I write unto you that you sin not, but if any man sin, we have an advocate. Where? With the Father. Who? Jesus Christ the righteous, whom he has set forth to be a propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. All right? That's why I don't like the word limited, per se. (laughs) All right? But uh, who's the first paraclete, according to John, who penned these words in our gospel? Is Jesus, the word there, advocate, paraclete. 
the word here, comfort, paraclete, comforter, paraclete. But uh, it's worth noting that, that uh, even though John was the only one to use the word paraclete, uh, Paul understood and wrote about this doctrine too. I want us to peruse a little bit. Uh, how late are you going to allow me to be today? <laughs> uh, I hit 1 o'clock. I wanted to be done by 1. I see a couple people yawning. I'm not, I don't want to be mean or anything. All right, I'll try to wrap up in five minutes, all right? Please <laughs> don't be mad. But Romans chapter 8, another great spirit chapter. Romans 8, verse 27. And he that searches the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he, the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Spirit helps, verse 26, our infirmities. He is... Even the word, the word, the word paraclete is not used. The word for intercession is used of the Spirit in verse 28. And then we get another comforter. So there's our other comforter. Who's the first comforter in verse 34? Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession. So even though Paul never used the word paraclete, just John, the same thing is brought out. We have an advocate. We have a paraclete. We have a comforter. We have one with the Father now, exalted for us, and we have one here with us, abiding with us. And therefore, he's able to say, I, have not, I will not leave you orphans, comfortless. We have one paraclete to answer the the attacks of the accuser up there, and we have one paraclete to help us in the work here in the real world. The Spirit, by the way, is everything, another comforter. He is everything that Christ was to his disciples while he was on earth when they walked with him. Jesus had been, uh, Barnes said this, Jesus had been to them a counselor, a guide, a friend while he was with them. He had instructed them, born with their prejudice, their ignorance. They had administrated consolation to them in times of despondency. But he was about to leave them now to go alone into an unfriendly world. The other comforter was to be given as a compensation for his absence or to perform the offices toward them which he would have done if he would have remained. We have just as much of the presence and the help of Christ as they did. He says, I'm going to send another comforter. The paraclete, what is the paraclete in, uh, in literature? Uh, well, what do we understand about the paraclete? The paraclete is a para, that means belong, alongside. Parable is a story that's alongside of something else that helps us understand a greater truth. Uh, para, and then... Uh, the word, the verb call, to call along one side. And what you have in, in the word paraclete is someone who is called to come alongside to help and to aid the other. Think of a family attorney who's called to come and stand next to them in court and to fight their battle. Now, we are probably you're probably more likely to run into a cognate verb form of this noun in the New Testament almost everywhere. There's a verb form of this noun. And when that cognate verb is used, and it's used often, it's often translated as comfort, help, urging, exhorting, and a host of other words. 
within its semantic domain. Christ was real. He was personal. He was caring. He was comforting. He was speaking. He was urging. And he was advocating for his people. Even to the point where he said to Peter, Peter, I have prayed for you. That when you're tempted, you're not going to fall. The Holy Spirit, the same of an, the same of a one, the same of another kind, another of the same kind rather, it was just as real, just as personal, and just as mighty to help. And who has it? Us, those that love Him. You and I have everything that we need, given to us from the Father through the mediation of Jesus Christ. Christ was God with us. Now the Holy Spirit is God with us. The Holy Spirit is the blessed result of the ascending of our exalted Lord. He ascended on high and he gave gifts to men. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter would preach there on the days of Pentecost in Acts 2.33 that this is the basis, this is what comes from Christ being glorified in 2.33. We can really read the entire thing where he says, this has been poured out upon us, the Spirit has been poured. But here he says, therefore, being, therefore Christ being by the right hand of God exalted and have received of the, the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost has shed forth this which you now see and hear. What happened on the day of Pentecost? This has been happening ever since. The Spirit's here. We're used to saying that. I, I haven't heard that hymn in a long, long time. The Comforter has come. And I'm a, first time I ever heard it was in a, was in a Korean church. <laughs> and it, was, you know, I, it was just really neat. But... Uh, uh, the comforter has come, and on that basis we can go forward. Now, yeah, I'm making a liar out of myself. I w I'm going to quit, I promise. It says in the end of this text, he may abide. You remember we talked about, in, and I'm not going to get into uh, uh, variant readings in the Greek text here, because this word... Um, it, it, it's here in the context, at the very least. Remember when we were talking about in my father's house are many mansions, right? There's many abidings for you, and I'm going to go prepare a place for you. That's what Jesus is doing, the first comforter. But now that same word is appearing in the cognate form of the verb, abide. He's going to remain with you. That's why... Paul would talk about the Spirit being the earnest, the down payment of the glory that's to come. He's abiding with us until the time that we're going to abide forever with him in the abodes that he prepared for us. So that's the second point. I said there was five points, and the second point is just he's coming to stay. He's coming to abide, to dwell with us. And then the third point is very simple. He's going to do it for a really, really long time. Uh, people will let you down, but the Lord will never let you down. How long is he going to abide with you? Jesus, you were only with us three years. Okay, but he's going to be with you forever. All right? 
he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. That's that perseverance of the saints, right? He'll keep you. The bridge between the finished work of Christ and our gathering together in him is just one simple reality. The Spirit's here. The Spirit is here with us. The Spirit of Christ, so much so that we're going to learn that we're going to get next week, I will come to you in verse 18. There's this unity between Spirit and Son. So Christ can say, because of the Spirit, lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the world. I want to just point out that there's three prepositions here, and then I'm closing. The Spirit is with you, meta, in fellowship. The Spirit is beside you. He's the paraclete, the para. He's by you, helping, comforting, advocating, urging, aiding. And the Spirit is in you. In the indwelling personal energy that drives us and moves us forward. And that's why I say, We have everything that we need to go forward. Everything supplied by the glorified Christ and his mediation, him being exalted and going to the Father, has poured out this precious reality. He said earlier in John, he says, He that believes on me, as the scripture says, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water an everlasting spring that he has given us and he'll be with us forever I hope this was a comfort to you today and uh, let's go ahead and stand and we'll be dismissed I spent 10 minutes longer than I wanted to but I hope it was a blessing let's go ahead and end with Christ is all I need (laughs) because this this truth comes out of that because of what Christ did We have all that we need.